Praise God. Well, turn to our master text today in the 12th chapter of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And as you're turning there, I just want to say that uh, we're starting a new series today. This is a series that I've been promising that I've been going to do for a long time. I, I think I spoke to uh, Bill Kendall two or three times about uh, uh, doing this, and he was in particular very eager. So, Bill, here we go. Um, we're about to start the series on, on money matters. Uh, and in this series, by the way, um, it's going to be somewhat like the series that we did some months ago when we talked about pride and humility, where we dug deep into matters of the heart. And this series, too, is going to strike at some inner heart issues for sure. So, again, our title is Money Matters, as in matters pertaining to money. Uh, But the way we handle and view money matters to God, so it should therefore matter to us as well. Now, by the way, before we read our master text, I just want to say that for those of you that have been around for a while, you know that I do a series on money, or try to, about every year. And the reason I do that is simple. You see, Jesus talked more about money than he did any other one subject except for salvation itself. And if you doubt that, you need to understand that every time that Jesus told a parable with agriculture in it, he was speaking the language of that culture's money. You see, agriculture and livestock is how a large portion of that population made their living. So if it would have been in modern times in Columbus, Indiana, it would have been like Jesus standing up and telling a parable about uh, a worker at Cummins or something. Amen. (laughs) See, that got your attention, didn't it? And you know why? Because that's how several of you in the room make your living at Cummins. So you perked up the second I said the word Cummins because your treasure or your income is tied to that place. And Jesus knew that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. So um, when Jesus talked about agriculture, not only did it represent spiritual parallels, but it also represented the way much of his audience made their livings. So he got their attention when uh, he talked about farming. Jesus is very smart, isn't he? Uh, So let's go ahead and read our master text, and then we'll continue this train of thought. So stand up with me, if you will. Um, Luke, it would be helpful if I actually turned to Luke instead of Ephesians. (laughs) Luke chapter 12, verses, what do I have there? 13 through 21. Here we go. The words of the master, um, says this, Someone in the crowd said to him, being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crop. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right. Well, one of the other reasons why we talk about money so often in this church is that God knows that if uh, he can be Lord over your money, he can be Lord over the rest of your life. Now, let me say that again. God knows that if he can be Lord over your money, he can more easily be Lord over the rest of your life. See, your money is very near and dear to your heart. Once again, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this topic has very important spiritual significance. So let me tell you up front what this series is going to do for us. Number one, it's going to reveal the level of selfishness in each of our hearts. So that's the first thing it's going to do. But secondly, it's going to provide a plan for your own financial security. See, in this day and age where our economy is so uncertain, we better have our security in something that's more stable than the world systems. Am I right? See, God wants to bless you, but we have to do things His way and not the world's way. I want to say that again. God does want to bless you, but we have to do things His way and not the world's way. So here's some key concepts that we can get from that master text in Luke chapter 12. First one being this, don't let money get in the way of relationships. And that's why we read that master text and verse 13 of which says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And you remember what Jesus said. He refused to get into the middle of that. He said, who made me to be an arbitrator between you and your stuff and your people. And so he refused to, to get involved in that. Second concept that we can glean from that master text is verse 15, guard against greed. Guard against greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Also in verse 15, there's more to life than your money and possessions. Now that's an important part of your life. We'll get into that. But there's more to life than money and possessions, as Jesus said. Uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And that's, uh, in essence, what was Jesus was saying in verse 15 as well. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So <clears throat> in my book that's over there in the resource room, How to Be Good at Life, there's a chapter in there um, that talks about this problem of money and possessions getting in the way of relationships. And in that, story, uh, in that book, I tell the story of Leslie Hinman, who served as the president of the Midwest's leading auction firm. And each year, she helped to auction off millions of dollars worth of uh, uh, fine art and high-end home furnishings from the estates of the wealthy. And now, while her firm handled goods that are considered rare and precious, by most of society, her work also helped her to see what's really important in life. Uh, see, she said, and I quote, I see people fighting about their stuff all the time. You realize that life is not about possessions. And one such episode occurred when she was hired to hold the auction in the modest home of a suburban family whose mother had recently passed away. And as Hinman led that auction, the siblings bid against one another for their mother's humble belongings, 
barely uttering a word to one another. So it's so important then, folks, to always remember to treat money and possessions as what they really are, tools that have really no eternal value. Now, listen, I want to qualify that remark. I'm not suggesting that we place no value on money and possessions because learning to take care of your possessions and manage your money well are also very important life principles that are also taught in the Bible. But my point is don't let money and possessions occupy a place in your heart above people and certainly not God. Use your possessions to serve people and God, of course, be lavish in your generosity, eager to share, and inclined to give of yourself and your possessions. And in doing so, so you know what? You will endear yourself by doing that to other people. And you'll naturally feel better about yourself, happier with life, and you'll position yourself for more of the blessing and favor of God. All right, so that's kind of the the foundation upon which we will build the rest of this teaching and the rest of the series. See, the reason that you'll position yourself for more of the blessings in favor of God when you're generous is because God will never let you outgive Him. God will never let you outgive Him. God will never be your debtor. He always blesses generous people. Always. And I'm going to be giving you a my testimony, me and Donna's testimony in later teachings, uh, but for now I want to focus on some other things. Now, we also have to realize the gigantic eternal implications of this. We cannot afford to get this subject wrong. So, here's a, a key thesis statement for this morning. People who are driven by money, success, and possessions, if the driving passion of their lives is materialistic, then that is evidence of idolatry. And there's a very high possibility that those people will not inherit eternal life. Now, wow, that's a strong statement. How do I justify that? Well, first of all, I want to say that this is not salvation by works because 1 Timothy 6.10 says that some greedy people have wandered away from the faith. I'm going to show you that here in a minute. But the point is that a person who lives for money will become hardened to the things of God and will eventually shipwreck their faith. That's why Jesus said, get this, that's why Jesus said it's very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that he said that? It's very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say it was impossible. He just said it was difficult. Because a person of great possessions has to constantly be on guard to not put his trust in those possessions and that money. See, it's so important where our devotion is. Is it on earthly things or is it on heavenly things? See, if a person is truly saved, listen, if a person's truly saved, then there should be an almost immediate shift in the way that he or she thinks about money. In the case of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, as you remember, his whole life had been devoted to the accumulation of money, even to the point of cheating people to get it. But when he met Jesus, 
Immediately, he repented of his selfishness and purposed in himself to make restitution for his wicked ways and give back to the people he had defrauded and become a person of generosity from that point forward. And folks, that's evidence of true repentance and regeneration. Praise God. All right. Now, let's talk about the biblical understanding of money for just a few minutes. The biblical understanding of money. Ephesians 5.5 says this, For of this you can be sure. In other words, take this to the bank. This is the way it is. No immoral, talking about sexual immorality, or actually integrity issues of all kinds, if you're a person that is dishonest, that's a form of immorality as well. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater, an idol worshiper. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I think we should read that again. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What is idolatry? Idolatry is anything that tries to take the place of God in terms of worship, devotion, or security. No idolater is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And those who are greedy, that place all their emphasis upon the worship of money, well, that greed has displaced God. So that's why that's idolatry. That's why people will not get into the kingdom of heaven who are greedy people. That's why it says that. Let's continue with this train of thought. Let's ask the question, is money the root of all evil? Because we've heard that from time to time, that money is the root of all evil. Well, is money truly the root of all evil? This is where we're going to hone in on 1 Timothy 6.10. So let's read this together. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It didn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of it. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. There it is. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I think that's a very important verse to consider there. Now, I want to hone in on a couple of these words in the Greek because I want to give you some additional understanding of this. So that word eager there, eager for money, that word eager is the word arego, and it means to covet after, to covet after, to strongly desire, to stretch out for in a yearning way, like that man in that picture on the screen there. That's what it means to be eager for money, to covet it, to strongly desire to stretch out for it in a yearning way. And that, that phrase, love of money, is taken from the Greek word philogeria, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I probably didn't, but uh, philogaria, maybe. And it means covetousness, greed, lust for money. That's what that means. So we could even read it that way. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, who covet after it, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the love of money, the covetousness of it, greed, lust of money, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people 
eager, who lust after money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So look, folks, money in and of itself is not evil. It's a neutral object. Just like a, a kitchen knife is a, is a neutral object. See, with a kitchen knife, you can prepare a meal for your family. You can free someone who's been bound. Or you can kill someone with it. It just depends on what you do with it. It's a neutral object. And money also is a neutral object. So let me give you another thesis statement for this morning. This is out of Exodus 20, verse 3, uh, the latter part of this. So let's read this together. God wants his people blessed. I want to emphasize that and reemphasize that. God wants his people blessed, but greed and covetousness block his blessings. Because covetousness makes money a God, a little g, God, idolatry. And Jehovah says that he will have no other gods before me, according to Exodus 20, verse 3. Now, can anything really block the blessings of God? Well, all you have to do is look no further than the people of Israel when they were about to go into the promised land. Um, see, God wanted them to go in and enjoy that land. He wanted them to enjoy the good of the land. But their stubborn refusal to do so because of their fear of fighting the Canaanites blocked God's blessings. God didn't do it. They did it to themselves. See, God is not against you having money. But he is against money having you. I'm going to say that again. God's not against you having money. But he is against money having you. That's where we have to do a heart check in this series. So I want to compare 1 Timothy 6.10 with Job 42.10 because this almost looks like they're contradictory concepts. So once again, reading 1 Timothy 6.10 once again, uh, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But then Job 42.10 says that after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Now, let's compare these two. Once again, 1 Timothy 6.10 is talking about greed and covetousness. See, if you're not greedy and covetous and materialistic, then God delights in blessing you. But, and, and you'll avoid piercing yourself with many griefs if you're not greedy and materialistic and covetous. See, greed and materialism, folks, have wrecked people's lives, many people's lives. And God wants us to avoid that. So, once again, greed is not the issue. Uh, or I should say money isn't the issue. Greed is the issue. Uh, God is not against you having money. He is against you being greedy. Okay? It's greed that God is against, not the money itself. See, if God was against people having a lot of money, he must have been schizophrenic or something when he dealt with Job. Because Job was a multimillionaire by today's standards. And then after about a 9 to 12 month trial that he went through, God restored his fortunes double. Double. And then there were a whole lot of other people in the Bible who were very rich who God approved of. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea. I could go on and on. So, folks, money is simply a tool. 
And if you use it properly, it can be a tremendous blessing to you, to other people, the kingdom of God. It, it can serve you. Money can serve you, and it can serve others. But if you don't use it properly, you will serve it. I'm going to say that again. If you don't use money properly, you will serve it. And ladies and gentlemen, money makes a lousy God. What God wants us to do is to have money serve us rather than us serve money. All right, let me transition here and address this question. Doesn't the Bible say you can't serve God and money? Well, the Bible doesn't actually say that. Okay, so I'm going to read this passage to you in Luke 16, 13 from the Berean Literal Bible. I've chosen that one on purpose because it has the proper wording. So let's read this. No servant is able to serve two masters, for either he, for either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You are not able to serve God and mammon. Mammon. The word mammon is the proper, I mean, some of these modern translations do this passage a horrible disservice because they replace the word mammon with money. So that's where you get that idea. The, the, the Bible says that you cannot serve God and money. The Bible, correctly translated, does not say that. It says you can't serve God and mammon, Okay. So then we have to understand what this term mammon is. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to look into that word mammon so we can properly understand this and apply it. So what is mammon? Mammon is an old Aramaic term that simply means wealth regarded as an object of worship and devotion. Okay? It was used by medieval writers as the name of the devil of covetousness. So we can accurately say then that mammon is the false god of money worship. It's a spirit. It's a spirit of selfishness. And selfishness is always idolatrous because selfishness tries to promote, protect, and provide. Which means that selfishness tries to take the place of God. See, and selfishness also, by the way, tries to disguise itself in very religious ways. One example of that is in uh, John chapter 12. There's a story of a woman who anointed Jesus with very expensive fragrant oil, poured it all over him, a whole flask of it. And Judas was indignant. Judas complained and said, why this waste? That Oil could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But that passage goes on to say that Judas cared nothing for the poor because he was a thief who used to help himself to the money bag once in a while. But he tried to disguise his selfishness through a facade of religiosity. And folks, he's not the only one who's done that sort of thing. See, lots of people try to disguise their selfishness behind a facade of religious words and duties. So that's not that uncommon. And we talked about that quite a bit in our series on pride, by the way. So, so then, has God established any kind of strategy to overcome this demonic spirit called mammon? Yes, he has. The spirit of mammon is overcome by practicing 
generosity as a lifestyle. Mammon is overcome by practicing generosity as a lifestyle. And we're going to talk about this uh, more throughout this series. This is just kind of a little teaser and introduction today. So I'm not going to elaborate on this today except to say that generosity, ladies and gentlemen, is not a suggestion by God. It's a command. It's a command. Because a lifestyle of generosity will help us overcome that idolatrous spirit of selfishness. And generosity also sets us up for more of the blessing and favor of God. So, in coming down home stretch here in this teaching, I want to ask the question, where is your faith? Where is your faith? See, your relationship with money will reveal the following. Your level of trustworthiness. Your level of integrity. And your level of trust in God to take care of you. And as I've been saying, it will also reveal the level of selfishness in your heart. See, once again, to reiterate yet again, God wants to bless you. But you've got to trust in him, not the systems of this world. And at the risk of ending on a sour note, I do want to say that there's some economists who are saying right now that if our government keeps doing what it's doing right now, our economy will collapse. And if that happens, it's going to be very bad for a lot of people. But we can shelter ourselves from calamity by obeying God's instructions about our money. So I hope that you'll all be here for all of these teachings because I believe God is wanting to set us up for more favor, more blessing, and future reward. Because if more troubled times are coming, um, this is a perfect timing, actually, for this teaching. Because, again, God is setting us up for more blessing, more favor, and future protection. God wants to be your ark in troubled times. God wants you to have plenty, even when the people around you are suffering. We'll talk more about these in, in, in future teachings, but I'll end on this note right here. You know, in uh, the book of Genesis, um, Abraham's son Isaac uh, went down to the land of Gerar, and a terrible famine hit the land. And there was no planting and reaping because it was hard, parched, dry, cracked ground, and God told him to stay right there and plant right there in that ground. And the Bible says that he reaped a hundredfold. And he became so prosperous that the people of that region feared him. And that's what God wants for you and me. Even when everybody else around is suffering and doing without, he wants us to have plenty so that we can bail people out, be generous to people who are suffering. Amen? Praise God. Stand with me and let's pray. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.